Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. I was meditating on Genesis chapter 4 on Wednesday afternoon. It's deep, 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 deep. Maybe because it it goes to the heart of who I am. And that's kind of a deep subject. But I got a text. I have one of these smartphones. And... When a text comes through, a little window pops up. It, it makes a little, a little noise, alerts me. That, and I looked over at, even though the phone is off, I looked over at the little bubble that had the text there, and it was from my wife, Shelley. And it said, you are a very good man. I'm glad I married you. Actually, it didn't use the word very. It just used... (laughs) It just used the word good. You are a good man. I'm glad I married you. But unfortunately, I was reading in Genesis 4 at the time, and I immediately thought, I'm really not that good a man. I've shared with you many times how over the years how many Sundays that I've spoken and it's a heavy responsibility. It's one I take very, very seriously. I mean, the idea of I'm going to get up in front of God's people and kind of lead them into his word and going to use my life and what God's spoken to me as a prism for what he wants to say to the rest of us and, and to me at the time too because it's, it's kind of a dynamic experience as you might imagine. It's not like it's finished on Saturday night or at... Uh, just a minute before I get up and and speak. I can't count the number of times Shelley and I have had an argument on Saturday. We don't have as many anymore. Um, We didn't have one last night or yesterday. Everything was good yesterday. (laughs) Maybe it's because on Wednesday she thought I was a good man (laughs) and glad she married me. Which made my heart sore, by the way. But often on Saturdays, uh, you know, there have been, over the years, fights. And, you know, we know, we know uh, what is it, Ephesians 4, 24, 25, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, but I, again, I can't, I couldn't even count on my hands and feet uh, how many times I probably violated that verse on 
on Saturday night. But on some occasions, on Saturday nights, but certainly by Sunday morning, I would go to Shelley and I would say, you can't go to church today. And that was my way of addressing the problem that I couldn't get up and speak on Sunday morning if she was sitting out there. I mean, if you put yourself in my shoes, can you imagine having a fight with somebody in, 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 in which you have um, said and done things that if you could even see a film of yourself would be embarrassing. And then you have to get up and talk about the Lord and love and the cross and Christ and she's sitting right there. Hard, hard, hard. Can't do it. So I'd say, you can't go to church. <laughs> if I don't have to look at you. And of course, that would be, of course, a segue. That was my code. That was my way of saying, I can't get up and talk for the Lord if we don't get this thing resolved. And I'm very sorry for what I've done. I've, I'm sorry for what I've said. Genesis 4 is kind of like having your wife sitting in the front row when you're trying to talk about the Lord. It, it, it's going to show us ourselves. Not a great way to start a Sunday morning, but... It's really the, uh, an honest way of maybe confronting who we are. So let's look at Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 10 and then 17 through 24. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain, and she said, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, 
I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. Let's look at verse 17. And Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch, after the name of his son. Now to Enoch was born Erad, and Erad became the father of Hemujael, and Mehujael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamech. And Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. And Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. And as for Zillah, as for Zillah she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. I'm enjoying Genesis. It keeps me bouncing off the bigger-than-life issues. Seems to put them in black and white. And here, as I suggested, we see ourselves in black and white. Here we see the decline of good. You remember in uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created heaven and earth. And we saw day by day that it was good. God saw that it was good. Seven times God says it was good. But in chapter 3, we see that Man determines good. He usurps in his freedom. He usurps the place of God. And he determines what is good. The snake says, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And alludes to the idea that God is holding back good. And so Eve, she saw that the tree was good. Whereas, as we saw in chapters 1 and 2, 
God saw that it was good, but now Eve, she sees that it is good, desirable. Desirable for wisdom. And she takes and eats. She gives it to Adam, and he takes and eats. And something becomes immediately wrong. Innocence is replaced with shame, guilt. And then in chapter 4, as we just read, Cain and Abel bring to God what is good. And as we saw Sunday, last Sunday, they each bring a minka, a tribute, a gift. And it is a response to God's good. It should reflect the good that God has shown. Each determines with his minka what is good. And as we saw, Cain agrees with God. Now that's my wording. Because he brings a tribute that is truly of his very best. He shows to God, he shows to God his worth, his estimation of good in his minka. But Cain also brings a minka, an estimation of his idea of good. And yet, as we saw, he doesn't bring his very best. He doesn't bring his first fruits. And so God doesn't look upon his minka, his offering, his tribute, but he does look upon Abel. And this infuriates Cain. It says he became angry, he becomes very hot. And his countenance falls. His, literally, his face falls. And God turns to Cain. He doesn't punish Cain. He turns to Cain. And he asks Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And then, in a question to Cain, which I think is, a, in a sense, the, the way God questioned Adam and questions Cain, The way he asks questions seems to be almost an acknowledgement of our freedom, the freedom that he has given us. And he asks Cain this question, if you do good. Now, I notice in this translation, and probably in yours, it'll, it'll say, if you do well. But what is striking is this is the word for good that has been used when God saw and said, it is good. Tov. This is the verb form. If you do good, will you not be lifted up? 
And we know that We know that Cain rejects good. And he rises up. It says he rose up. I don't think that's a mistake. Not the same words. One is to be lifted, but then Cain responds and rises up. And I see in this so much imagery of our independence exercising our freedom, the self. It says, Cain rose up against his brother, and he killed him. And God asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is your brother? And and Cain lies to God. Now, I, I mean, on the one hand, we'd say, how can you lie to God? It's not like you're opaque and God can't see or know. And the fact that Cain lies to God is a real declaration of independence. It's, it's, to us, it's, it's folly, it's foolishness. But in a way, it's very much Cain saying, I don't have to answer to you. I have no obligation to you. When God asks Cain, Where is your brother? Cain not only rejects God, but he rejects any obligation or responsibility to his brother. Who is my, am I my brother's keeper? And profoundly, uh, seven times Abel in these verses, when he's introduced in verse 2, Seven times he's introduced as as the brother of, of Cain. And every time Abel is mentioned, he's mentioned as the brother of Cain. In fact, the last three times he's mentioned, he's not even mentioned by name. He's mentioned by relationship. Your brother. And so, in, built into the very fabric of what's going on here is the reality that we are not independent. Cain is the firstborn. He has a special status, and in part, his status is to take care of his younger brother. But profoundly, there is in these chapters, if you read from verse 1 to chapter 4, you just can't shake the fact that we are connected to God and to one another. And here in his retort, 
to God, he severs those ties. And I think this is indicative and symbolic of our, of our malady and of our plight. And we see ourselves declining, declining from good. And this is picked up powerfully in the picture of civilization and Cain's descendants. Here we see these cultural and technological advances from agriculture to city building to nomadic life and cattle breeding in verse 20. Uh, the development of music, the lyre and the pipe, metal working, bronze and iron. And these are, these are things that, that we say, these are examples of good. But you don't want to miss the fact that in this march and development and progress of culture and technology, humanity makes itself the author and subject of the world's story. God nowhere appears in the rise of civilization. And then we get to Lamech. As you see, Cain moves further from God... He's east of Eden. The rise of civilization and what emerges from the march of culture in advance, Lamech. Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech. I have killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77. In other words, for the slightest breach of honor, Lamech exacts his own justice. For the slightest breach of honor, Lamech exacts his own justice. What autonomy, what independence. And in a sense, it's all about me. All about me. We don't see ourselves that way. We don't see ourselves as murderers. But when I look at Lamech, I see myself. And if I may be so bold, you should see yourself too. When I think back on those Saturday nights or Saturday afternoons, I see myself rising up for the slightest breach of honor. Oh, it didn't end in murder. Not in a physical murder. Thank goodness I don't keep guns in the house. I'm sorry, I probably offended some people. I'm not against the Second Amendment. But the fact of the matter is, is that we can be wild murderers with the tongue, with the lips, with the mouth, with our hands and our feet and our eyes. In fact, if I can jump to the New Testament, 
when Paul talks about the depths of our sin, and he's made the case that we're all under sin. It doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile. In other words, we're all under sin. And in verses 9 through 18, he describes sin anatomically. He even uses the throat, the lips, the mouth, the hands, the feet, the eyes, to try and get at the depths of this sin. But this isn't something alien to us. To me, it it is pictured right here in chapter 4. 3 and 4. It's this idea that I know best what's good, God. Just get out of the way. Don't interfere with my life. I'll call on you when I need you. Cain's legacy is a descent into self. A descent into self. And that's something we can all relate to. And our world is not a deterrent. Our world is not checking us. It's not saying, watch out. Be careful. God gave us freedom. And now we live without bounds. All of us have Cain and Lamech in us, but that's not the end of Genesis chapter 4. In verses 1 and 2, we saw that Eve gave birth, Cain and Abel. In verse 25 and 26, it said, Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed appointed me another seed. Your translations often give us the word offspring. And I think here the word seed is important because immediately we think of chapter 3, verse 15. After Eve, after Adam, both asserted their independence, said, I know what's good. God addressed the snake, Adam, even Adam. But he talked about this battle, this enmity between the seed of the snake and the seed of the woman. And here, we encounter this word seed again. And even the word appointed is the word that was used in chapter 3, verse 15, to, when it said, God put enmity 
enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And now, Seth is appointed, says Eve. My mind goes cosmic on these kinds of things. But what I see here is that those who call upon the name of the Lord, God continues, as it were, to to put enmity between the snake and the seed. That is, there are those who are always going to turn to God. I think we all have that in us. And Seth and his son Enosh, it says in that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's the tension. Self versus calling upon the name of the Lord. Self versus calling upon the name of the Lord. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, Luke gives the genealogy of Jesus. That genealogy runs like this. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. In other words, there's good news. The New Testament says Cain and Lamech are not the end of the story. Sinking into self is not the final word. We can call upon the name of the Lord. And if, it, if in our battle with self we thought maybe that was a vain endeavor or we ended up losing more often than winning... The good news is the victory that is the gospel and the announcement of the New Testament. God wins this battle through Jesus Christ. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 20 of Galatians, I no longer live. The life I live, I live by faith. In the Son of God. On Saturday night, it would be so difficult to look ahead to Sunday. Very, very hard. You never find within yourself, you never find within yourself the validation, the strength, uh, the justification to be able to stand up and talk about the gospel with a clear conscience. You find that in Jesus Christ. You find that in Him. I live my Christian life very simply in the end. I mean, I I guess I've spent my adult life trying to think deeply, but I live it very simply. I try to see myself as I really am and who I can be in Jesus Christ. And there are days when I get depressed just like you. I've been overwhelmed by images from Japan, the suffering, tragedy. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by myself. 
Sometimes I'm overwhelmed by things that just are beyond my control and go haywire. And it can, it can to put it in uh, modern vernacular, it take you out of your game. And I center myself by doing just what Enoch and Enosh and countless others have. I, I call on the name of the Lord. And I do that by faith. And very simply, I center myself in loving God and my neighbor as myself. Wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. That's, that's how I get my balance. That's how I get back up on my feet. That's how I get up and do things that I, in my own strength, and certainly uh, in my own worth, I cannot do. I mean, when we see ourselves as we really are, because of the gospel, because of the New Testament, because of Jesus Christ, He who crushed the head of the snake, because of Him we can turn to who we can be in Jesus Christ. And for me, that's always summed up in loving God and my neighbor as myself. I hope that doesn't sound anticlimactic. You see, when, when God says to Cain, where is your brother? Cain says, I do not know. I thought to myself this week, and this is overstatement, but I thought he not only murdered his brother, he just murdered God for all intents and purposes. He just wiped God out. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's so ugly. It's so outrageous. It seems a million miles away, and yet that's the kind of stuff we do without even giving it a second thought. And then we run into these monumental words. This this is one of the monumental sentences in the Bible. Two words, to me. In verse 10, to me. The blood of your brother cries out to me. In the heights of our arrogance, we stand in independence. We do, in a sense, just what the serpent lured us to do. Take and eat. You'll become like God. And God, even in the face of Cain's arrogance, in which now he's constructing for himself a world in which he is obliged to no one, not to God, not to any brother. He is totally autonomous. He thinks he's gotten away with murder. He's committed the perfect murder. 
And God says, the blood of your brother cries out to me. Those words remind us that there's always someone bigger than us. And that's what we need. That's what we need. M. Scott Peck counseled a woman named Charlene who said this about Christianity. There's no room for me in that. That would be my death. I don't want to live for God. I will not. I want to live for my own sake. And Peck, whose concern for mental health I mean, he argues people, these are my words, messed up emotionally and psychologically because we're full of ourselves. But he doesn't put it that way. He says that the person has nothing in his or her life more important than the fulfillment of individual needs and wants. And he goes on to say, mental health requires that the human will submit himself, itself himself or herself, to something higher. Something higher. Remember when Tiger Woods fell for, from grace? Our grace. That's when we found out. He was already in a free fall. And he stood before the cameras. And here were some of the things he said. He says, uh, at first I didn't want to look inward. Frankly, I was scared of what I would find, what I had become. Self-reliance made me think I could tackle the world by myself. It made me think that I was invincible. That's not just for Buddhists or unbelievers. It's something we all do. Going back to what Charlene said, she said, I don't want to live for God. I will not. I want to live for my own sake. But you see, the very reason a person rejects Christ is the very reason a Christian can reject his lordship. I want to live for my own sake. This is a battle that Paul says is continuing to be waged. In Romans chapter 7, he talked about that battle, that internal battle. And he, he cried out at the very end of the chapter, Woe is me! <laughs> and then... Chapter 8 begins so powerfully. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But then he turns right around in chapter 8 and he goes on to talk about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And what is the flesh? Well, I wish it were just this stuff. But it isn't. The flesh informed Theologically, in its thinking by the Old Testament, the flesh is when I, in my petty, pitiable, 
puny weakness rise up and say, Hey, I can do this. I don't need you, God. That's the flesh. The flesh is the assertion of myself. It's self rising up. I'm more important than my brother. I'm more important than my wife. I'm more important than anybody. Don't mess with me. I'm Lamech. I'll define my own justice. And watch out. Because by my own laws, by my own sense of honor, a nick deserves my wrath. If you don't think that's the case, then just pay attention when you're driving. Just wait till I've, I see it rise up in myself. 2011. He who received Jesus in 1972, still when driving, wants to accelerate and not let that guy take advantage of me. Wants to. You see the flesh? It's at work. It's in power. As long as we are on this earth, until He returns. But we are not left to ourselves in the descent of the flesh. God has given us His Spirit. And that's why Paul again and again says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't walk after your own sense of direction. Walk after the Spirit. That's something that is a part of the walk of faith. John Ortberg, are you familiar with John Ortberg? I would like to be like John Ortberg. I, I read his books and I just think, wow, he is impressive. I love the way he thinks. He's just... I've met him a few times. I just really have a lot of respect for him. Terribly funny man. Very dry. Dry sense of humor. In his book, the book that was just published, The Me I Want to Be, he writes... One of the most important moments of my spiritual life was when I sat down with a longtime friend and said, I don't want to have any secrets anymore. I told him everything I was most ashamed of. I told him about my jealousies. John Ortberg? My cowardice. How I hurt my wife with my anger. I told him about my history with money and my history with sex. I told him about deceit and regrets that keep me up at night. I felt vulnerable because I was afraid that I was going to lose connection with him. Much to my surprise, he did not even look away. I will never forget his next words. John, I have never loved you more than I love you right now. Will you stand with me?
God, in verse 7, turned to Cain. He said, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do good, will you not be lifted up? Cain rejected God's invitation to do what God determines is good. That same question is asked of us this morning. If you do good, will you not be lifted up? This morning, those are the words of Genesis 4-7. Jesus said these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and your neighbor as yourself. That's good. And it all begins with the walk of faith. When we turn from ourselves and our own sense of power to the true power to do not what we think is good, but what is really good. This morning, if God's spoken to your heart and you want to come and pray, talk about the things that are going on in your life to him and turn those over to him and walk the walk of good that begins with Jesus Christ. Each and every time, we invite you to come. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org. Or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.